Well, guys, it's so good to be back with you. Um, I get to speak last, last year several times, and if you've been here on Sunday mornings, I've uh, preached there as well. And so um, it's always fun just to see the energy that's in the room with Salt Company uh, on Thursday night, 8 o'clock, uh, when uh, in my house, normally that's the time when my kids are going to bed and they're winding down, and you guys are just like gearing up and ramping. So it's life to my soul as someone who loves to stay up late and hang out and connect. And so uh, what he said was so true about us going to UCF. We prayed and asked the Lord, where would he send us? And as we prayed and sought him, he directed our lives uh, to uh, Orlando and literally a longer story that I could share another time, but uh, literally God sent a hurricane in the year that we were coming down uh, on a vision trip, trying to see where we might go in Florida. And God sent a hurricane to Pensacola and it literally rerouted us to Orlando, which then allowed us to be here at Salt Company uh, when they, you guys were out on the lawn, if any students were still around then, uh, with all the bats and mosquitoes that were like eating you through your clothes. Um, it, was, it was quite amazing that God uh, still called me to come even after experiencing that uh, because I've never seen mosquitoes like that before. Um, but as we were on that trip, God just affirmed and directed us. And we've been in this process now since for a couple years, uh, praying into going to UCF and got open the door. And it's just crazy to me um, how you guys have this great opportunity to come together every single week in this place. And the more we learn about UCF, that those students just don't have this opportunity. They just don't have a gathering of people where they can come together that's a part of a local body. There's lots of on-campus ministries and other things, but there are very few churches in the area that are saying, we, are, we came to this area or we love college students so much that we wanna make sure that we reach this campus. There's 70,000 college students at UCF and less than 2,000 of them are involved in a local church. And I believe a lot of that is because there's just not churches that are saying, we're here because we wanna reach you, we wanna love you, we wanna give you a place where you can come, worship with like-minded people, your same peers, and do that. So what we're having next weekend is an opportunity. I can't see anybody past like the fourth row, so if you're making faces at me, I, I, I don't know that. So um, if I fall off the stage, it's because I got blinded by these lights that are in here. But um, you can laugh at me because I'll laugh at myself. Uh, Styles might catch me. Um, but I can see him. Um, but um, next weekend is an opportunity for you guys just to see the campus. Uh, some of you are like, hey, I hate UCF. Great. God loves you at UCF, so you can too. And so uh, come uh, see, be a part of that. We're doing Friday night, Saturday, and Sunday. Uh, what we're saying is, hey, if you're coming down from Gainesville or from, there'll be some people from Tallahassee coming down uh, as well. If you're coming down uh, from Florida, just come on Saturday. Um, it's just the easy thing for you to do, not have to try to get a hotel, not have to try to find somewhere to stay. And just come down Saturday morning, spend the day with us. Uh, we're going to prayer walk on campus. We're going to see some, some surrounding areas and just let you see uh, not only the campus we want to reach, but the almost 300,000 people that are surrounding that campus uh, that are also in need of the gospel and community and uh, to see their lives transformed uh, by the gospel. So there's a sign-up sheet out there. Uh, if you sign up and you don't come, it's fine. Uh, but it would love for you if you're seriously, seriously interested in coming. Uh, it doesn't cost anything other than your gas down and, and your meals while you're there. Um, but if you could sign up. Um, and if um, you're a freshman, make sure you get a shirt so you can wear it on campus uh, while we're down there. So uh, this evening, we're going to continue in our series on the book of James. So if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn to James chapter two. I'm gonna be in verses 14 and following uh, in just a little bit. But before, uh, while you're turning there uh, and considering um, different background with this, uh, we're jumping ahead through uh, the first part of James chapter two, uh, where it talks about partiality. And I'm not really gonna focus on that. I'll mention it later on uh, in the sermon, um, if I remember, um, and uh, to make a connection back to this passage. Um, but 
as you guys are turning there, I want you to think about this. This is a dream world. So we have to, we have to dream about this because it's not a reality yet. But let's say, anybody love to go to football games in here? Can, can you raise your hand? Love to go to football games? Okay, so let's, let's say that in year two or year three of Billy Napier, the Florida Gators go to the national championship. Dream, dream world, dream world. I, I, can, I, can, I can dream however I want, right? Like, like it, it, it'd be great if it was a reality. Year two or three, go to the national championship. And you want a ticket. And you're like, how do I get one of the student allotment tickets? Or how do I get a ticket to be able to go to this game? I've waited my whole life or I've waited since I was a child to be able to see the Gators play in the national championship game again. How do I do that? But what you hear is that there's going around some fake tickets. And you're like, I wanna get a ticket and I'm willing to pay whatever I've gotta pay. But then you find out there's some fake tickets. And so you start saying, well, how do I know the difference between a fake ticket and a real one? And then you start hearing details about, hey, watch out for this. Watch out for um, a barcode that looks like this, or watch out for a screenshot of something that's on there because the tickets are electronic. Watch out for uh, the font on the ticket. There are warning signs that what you're doing is phony. It's fake. It's not an actual ticket. But let's say that in this scenario, you come up to me, I'm selling you a ticket, and I pull out a piece of paper, and I write on there one ticket for the National Championship game, and I give you the ticket. Are you going to pay me? Why? Because it's fake. Well, how do you know it's fake? You, what? You can just tell. You, you can just tell it's fake because I just wrote it in front of you. Like, obviously, like, I, I don't have that ability. But what if I um, was really creative and I was able to create this website and it made it really phony and you couldn't tell it was fake? You bought that ticket, you go to the game, and you get to the game and you go, I'm going to go in. I've told all my friends I'm doing this. And you go to the game and you find out at the gate it's fake. You'd be pretty mad. You'd be pretty upset. But I, I want to talk to you tonight about something from the book of James that was be even more troubling than a fake ticket into a football game. You see, in that scenario, the person that's hurt is your, yourself. You're, you're upset. You're frustrated because you didn't get into the game. But I want to tell you that I believe this passage in James is giving us a great warning. And that warning is that there are people who believe that they have access to heaven that they don't actually have. There are people that think, hey, I've done these right things, and because I've done these right things, I'm going to go to heaven when I die. And the difference between the ticket and heaven is the ticket is, hey, you could buy another one. Hey, you could have another chance. You could have another opportunity. But when it comes to the day of judgment, there is no second chance. There is no other opportunity. There is no, oh, whoops, God, I didn't understand that. Instead, it is eternity separated from God. And so I have a question for you tonight. And this question is not for your neighbors, not for your parents, it's not for your best friend, it's not for your girlfriend, it's for you. And the question is this, do I have real faith? Do I have real faith? You see, in James chapter 2, this idea of faith and works, how do they relate to one another? How, how does a believer understand works in a way that is connected to their faith? James gives us an explanation that's a little bit confusing when you first see it, but I hope during our time tonight that you will see great clarity and you will be able to answer the question by the end of the night, do I have real faith? So let's read James chapter two, just verse 14 right now. It'll be on the screen if you don't have a Bible. 
what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Can such faith save him? What good is it if they have they claim to have faith but don't have works? What good is that? Can that can that such faith save that individual? You see, earlier I talked about this idea of a, of a fake ticket. And the idea of like markers of a fake ticket. And I, I want to bring to the surface tonight some fake ideas or fake markers that we, we can see that we're actually not saved. We're actually not in Christ. I want to give you some phrases from our culture, and I want to give you some warnings from this text. And so we're gonna, during our time together, we're going to examine our life. We're going to examine, do we actually have a relationship with God, or do we just talk about it? Or do we just believe something about God? And then we're going to look at two examples of how an individual who had faith, two individuals that had faith, that their faith worked in their life. So the first part is in this examining of ourselves. I want you to know, when I talk about faith tonight, when I say real faith, I mean saving faith. That means that you were separated from God, but because you've put your trust in him, he has forgiven you for all of eternity. Your sins are forgiven. And so the big idea tonight is this, real faith is accompanied by works. Real faith is accompanied by works. In our culture, some warning signs of a fake conversion or a false following of Jesus. Here's a couple of these things that I've heard over the years. Maybe you've even said, maybe some in the room would would hold to even tonight. And the first one is really hard because it's complicated. But the first one is, I've always believed. I've always been a Christian. And my wife grew up at a Christian home. She trusted Christ at a really early age. And she would say that for much of her life, she followed Christ. But there was a day when that became a reality. It wasn't just because she was born in this home and that home went to church and that home did these right things, that because of that, because of her parents' faith, she automatically had faith. There had to be a moment in her life where she turned away from sin and followed Christ herself. And so to say, I've always believed... You might have always believed about God, but that doesn't mean you had a relationship with him. There's a difference between those two. And I know what I'm talking about tonight is a, is a heavy matter. It's, it's one that you're like, hey, I don't know if I wanna ask this question tonight, but I believe that God's timing is perfect in having me here this evening. And I think some of these questions will prick your heart. And I, I pray that you would lean in and not lean out. The second is, you know what my parents believe? So because my parents believe like I believe, like it's just, I inherit, like, like when they die one day, I'm gonna get all their wealth. So because they believe, now I, I believe. But some of you would say this, hey, Patrick, I know that I believe in Jesus, but right now I'm just having fun. Right now I'm just having fun. I'm doing the thing that I wanna do. I'm living for myself. And when I get a little older, I'll come back to Jesus but he's, he's saved me. He said he'll save me. So I, I know that I've trusted him. So I'm just having fun. Another one is, hey, you know what, Patrick? I, I come to Salt Company every week. All right, I, I come to church a couple of times a year because I, I feel like it's what you're supposed to do. Or when I go home, I, I, I came tonight. It's the first time I'm in the room. But when I'm at home with my parents, I go because that's what I'm supposed to do or, or whatever extra thing you put on there. I go to church a few times a year. Others would say, hey, you know what? I'm just a good person. I'm just good. And so when I die, God's gonna see my goodness and he's gonna forgive me or he's gonna let me in because of that. 
But some of you in this room tonight, I really believe this is true. I think some of you are in the room tonight and you've never followed Jesus. And the reason why you've never followed Jesus is because you've seen somebody else claim to follow Jesus, but they actually weren't followers of him. And you looked at their life and you're like, all you're doing is just putting on a front. All you're doing is fake. You just carry out these motions and you look at their life and you see them toil and, and try so hard to keep up a persona or keep up a perception with their friends that you're like, I don't wanna do that. And can I tell you, that's not what Christ calls us to. Christ calls us to take off our mask and that he accepts us as we are and transforms us into who he desires for us to be. Others of you in the room, you know that you trusted Christ. You know that you're forgiven I wanna encourage you, God still has works for you that he desires for you to do. And I think he'll make some of those clear as we spend time together. Let's read verse 14 again. It says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Can such faith save him? Can I, can I tell you the word claim here is the, is the main word that's being emphasized is that they're claiming something that's not actually true. And the way that you can tell it's not actually true is that there's no works that follow that because real faith is accompanied by works. And so James is gonna unpack this idea of real faith being accompanied by works over and over again throughout this. And so some of you are sitting there and you're going, man, I, I've heard some of these things like with, like I thought Paul said that we're saved not by our works, but we're saved by God's grace. So how, how, does, how do these things work together? Let me, let me read to you a passage from Ephesians chapter two. Verse seven to 10, it says this. So that in the coming ages, he might display the immeasurable riches, richness of the grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through what? And it is not of yourself, it is a gift of God. Not of what? Or not from what? So that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared for us to do ahead of time. And so it is by grace that we are saved, but as we are saved in that grace, God has prepared works for us to do. And so it's not that we earn salvation because we work really hard or we do good things, but instead it's because we've already trusted Christ, our faith will work. Again, a little bit complicated, but anybody can claim anything. I can go stand in my garage and say that I'm a car, but it doesn't make me a car. When I, a few years ago when I was in college, my wife and I were dating, I got a chance to go to China. And when I was in China, I went in this handbag store. And as I went in this handbag store, I bought this purse, it was a name brand purse. And I was like, I have no idea if this is real or not. Like, but I'm getting, I'm either really getting a really good deal or I'm getting made a fool. I don't know which one of these is right. And so I brought the bag back to my wife or my girlfriend at the time, she's now my wife. And I gave her this bag and she's like, is it real? I'm like, I don't know. I hope so. Um, but this store was claiming that these bags were real. Were they real? Probably not. But I didn't know how to see um, certain stitching on there. I didn't know how the name would be, you know, supposed to be inside the lining or on the outside. I didn't know what a real one looked like. So they could fool me by making a claim. And Salt Company, I, I think that's true when it comes to Christ. I think so many of us have not had a biblical understanding of what it means to be a follower of Christ, that when we see fake things, we don't recognize them because we don't understand what the real thing is. On that same trip, I learned a lot about jade on this trip and people will try to sell you jade and try to sell it for really, really expensive, but jade is like a way, like four times heavier than plastic. 
So I'm at this one shop, and this store is like, hey, this is real jade. You can charge this really. And I was like, come on, man. Like, this is plastic. Like, I could throw this up in the air. I could break the head off this thing probably if I wanted to. But I could tell that jade was fake because somebody had told me this was heavy. And so what I want to show you in this section here, verses 14 through 20, are some warning signs, some, some things for us to examine in our life. If they are present, we need to check our hearts and see if we've ever truly followed Christ. I believe what Matthew 7 says is true. That there will be many on that day of judgment that will say to me, Lord, Lord, and I will say to them, depart from me. I never knew you, you workers of iniquity. And why, do they, why, why would that be true? So many think I'm gonna earn this thing with God. I'm gonna work my way there but these verses tell us that's not possible. So it's just not empty claims. Verse 14 says, it's not just about claiming to be a Christ follower, but work should follow us following Christ. The second thing that I wanna show you is in verses 15 and 16. Read that with me. If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one says, and one of you says to him, to them, go in peace, stay warm and be well fed, but you don't give him what the body needs, what good is it? In the same way, if faith doesn't have works, it is dead by itself. We see here a lack of love. If somebody came in here and they were cold and they were hungry, hungry and they were unclothed, and we just said, be merry, go on your way, sorry, we can't help you, that would be not loving to that individual. It would not be caring for them. And you see, we're, we're, we're given a command in scripture as Christ followers to love God and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so a faith that does not love the neighbor, the faith that does not love in this way, that just says go and be on your own, be warm, be filled, whatever we may say to this person, it is lacking in love. And so examine yourself. Do you have a claim that's not true? Do you have a lack of love in your life towards those that are different from you or those that are in need? And then verse 17 says that in the same way, faith, if it doesn't have works, is dead. It's dead by itself. It's not alive. But real faith is accompanied by works. And so we can tell the difference between a live faith and dead faith because it is accompanied by works. And so the third sign is that, that a deedless faith, a faith without works, a deedless faith is a dead faith. If an individual comes to Christ and there's never fruit in their life, there's never change in their life. I like, I like to explain it this way. And I'll talk more about Paul and James and how they kind of... Uh, seem like they disagree, but they actually agree. When, when Paul talks about this idea of, of faith and works, he's talking about the root. He's talking about what you can't see under the ground. It is, it is by faith that you're saved, not of yourself, not of your own works, lest you may boast. What James is talking about is the fruit of that root. And so he's saying, hey, if you are actually in Christ, and you see something, somebody in need, you're going to give them love. You're not going to have empty claims. You're, you're Faith is not going to be dead because it's going to be followed by actions, and that action will be seen by fruit. Verse 18 through 20 show us that there's, these are signs of a useless faith. Read those with me. But someone will say, you have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without works, and I will show you my faith. I will show you faith by my works. You believe that God is one. Good. Even the demons believe, and they shudder. Senseless person, are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? 
So I know that those words are a little bit confusing. I'm gonna kind of walk back through that real fast. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I will show you faith by my works. A lot of times people get hung up on this phrase right here, but I wanna focus on the next line that's here because the next two lines actually clarify for us what's being said by James in those two um, verses that were right there. Verse 19 says, you believe that God is one, good. Even the demons believe and they shudder. Three signs of useless faith from this, this, these, one, these couple of verses here. The first is it's just a mental assent. The demons don't believe and trust in Jesus. They just have a mental assent towards him. They, they recognize who he is. Just like someone would say, I, I know who Abraham Lincoln is. Someone says, hey, I, I know who um, LeBron James is. Someone says, I know about someone. I know that they exist. But no one would say, I, I know those people. I have a relationship with those people. That, that, that would be a strange thing to say. People would think you're crazy if you're like, hey, I, I hung out with LeBron James last night. Like you're like, yeah, right, I don't believe that's true. Or if you're like, hey, uh, Abraham Lincoln was my best friend, you'd be like, you're delusional. Like we need to like, get you checked out that um, he's been dead for quite some time. And so, but this idea of mental ascent is, is in opposition to what James talks about in really actually believing. And so um, a mentor of mine in Omaha, Nebraska, where I served for three years before coming here, um, Guy's a, um, a hero in the faith in my family and in our church history family. And um, his name's Jack Arendt. Uh, many of you don't, don't know him um, and will never meet him. But Jack loves to share the gospel. And Jack, in sharing the gospel, he always uses the bridge diagram where he shows like, hey, apart from Jesus, you're over here by yourself. And there's a great chasm between you and God. And the only thing that can bridge that gap is Jesus. And the only way that you can go from this side to that side is by, be- by believing in Jesus and by putting your trust and faith in him. But he tells this story, and I don't know, I don't know the validity of this story, but I'm repeating it tonight in my sermon, and this story is this. There was a guy who used to be really good at tightrope walking, and this guy went to Niagara Falls and was able to, to get, put a rope over the falls and actually go out over the falls Tightrope walked that thing. He got so good at doing this and would draw great crowds to the place that whenever he was doing this, one day he went out and made breakfast on this tightrope with like a spatula and some kind of, I don't know how he did it, but he made breakfast out over the falls, ate it, and all these people were like, you're so amazing, you're so awesome, how do you do these things? And so then he, one day he said, I'm going to ask for a volunteer. So he grabbed a wheelbarrow and he said, who wants to get in the wheelbarrow? And everyone looked around like, that's insane. Like, how, like, like yeah, you're able to hold yourself up, but that's a different weight. That's a different, uh, that's, you're literally, I'm putting my life in your hands. I'm, I'm, I, you, like, you drop me, I die. Like, there's no, there's no I'm not flying through uh, the sky. I'm going to slap the water. I'm going to die, and I'm going to drown. And so, as the story goes, people were reluctant to get in. Now, I heard this story from someone else, so I think it probably really is true, but I've never heard this story, this part of the story from Jack. What, what I found out as I was preparing for this message tonight is that there was one person who said, I'll get in. Anybody wanna guess who that person was? Not his wife, not his kid. It wasn't Jack, no. <laughs> it was his manager. 
his manager had watched him year after year, day after day, line after line, and he knew he could trust him. He believed that he could put his whole self on him and that he could take him out there over, the, over this, these falls and not die. And what James is saying here in this passage is we can trust God more than we could trust this guy over a tightrope. And this idea of following Jesus by believing in him is literally casting yourself upon him. It is putting your whole trust in him. It's not like, hey, I'm gonna try Jesus and if he doesn't work out, something else will. But it's fully surrendering your life to him. And as you fully surrender your life to him, you know what flows out of that? Works. We don't, we don't earn God's favor by working really hard for his kingdom, but as we are in him, as we've trusted in him, as we've given our whole self to him, that results in our life having works. It results, results in us sharing the gospel with friends. It results in us serving the needy. It results in us going on trips overseas or to Orlando. It results in change in our life. It's a full surrender. It is, it is giving up ourselves, but a, a deedless faith, a useless faith, just has a mental ascent. It just says, I believe about God. Those of you that are, are dating or desiring to date, you, you think, hey, I want to date somebody who loves Jesus. I wanna, I wanna walk with somebody who's gonna encourage me in my faith. But what happens when you're in a situation where you find out that person's not who they said they were? What happens when you find out they actually don't know Jesus, but they just said that because they wanted to date you? And you're like, man, they're so attractive. This sucks. I don't want to break up with them. It's, it, it, it's a decision. Am I, gonna, am I gonna let my faith and trust in God impact the way that I live? Or is it just gonna be mental assent? Is it just mental acknowledgement? I can tell you it's raining outside and you can say, no, it's not, it's snowing. And again, I would probably say you're crazy because we're in Florida. But we can say anything. We can make any kind of claim. But knowing Jesus leads to more than just mental assent. But that's not all that we see here as signs of, senseless, of a useless faith. The first was that a mental assent. The second, I want you to notice what happens to these demons. They have an emotional response. It says, you believe that God is one. Good. Even the demons believe, they give mental assent to, and they shudder. They have an emotional response. You see, following Jesus is not just an emotion. I did youth ministry for 15 years, and I could tell you uh, just on going to a youth camp or go, doing a weekend event, I could tell you that on this night, on this time, we're going to have so many kids that say, hey, we trusted Jesus because of an emotion. And there are people that are in this room that maybe that was your story and you had an emotion and you've been looking at that emotion as you having faith. And I would say, even the demons have emotions. Even the demons respond with emotions to the idea of who God is. But God doesn't desire us to just give emotion. He desires for us to give him our entire life, to trust him. And so useless faith doesn't have works. And so do you have just mental assent about God? Do you have just emotional responses to God? Or is there actual faith in your heart that leads to action? But one other thing that I want you to see here is it says in verse 20, it says, senseless person, senseless. 
Are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? But the other thing that these demons don't have, they don't have true belief. They don't have true faith. They don't have a, uh, anything more than an emotional response, but they also lacked action. They didn't respond to this. They just cried out for acknowledging who God was, but they never, nothing changed in their life. Nothing changed about them. There was no, there was no following of them. So as you think about these different aspects of, of your own life, would you say you fall into a category of I've always believed or I, I, I lack love in my life or I, I just had this empty claim that I followed Jesus, but I, deep down inside, I've been hiding from everybody else and I'm afraid of anybody to know that I actually never trusted Jesus. Don't let pride keep you out of heaven. Don't let pride keep you living this life of putting this mask on in this room and putting another mask on in a different room and trying. Signs of useless faith, a mental ascent, emotional, and they lacked action. Now, this passage gives us two examples, and I'm going to go through these quickly. Two examples of faith, and he uses the craziest people to do this with. Now, James is writing to a Jewish Christian audience, and so he grabs one of the patriarchs, one of the fathers of the faith, and he says, what about Abraham? What about Abraham? Look at what Abraham did with his life. Read with me in verses 21 through 24. 21 through 24 says, Wasn't Abraham our father justified by works in offering Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was active together with his works, and by works faith was made complete. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. This idea of Abraham. Now, as we first read this, it sounds like Abraham was put his trust in God whenever he sacrificed Isaac. But if you, leave, if you read Genesis, you'll see that the chronology doesn't match that. The chronology is that God told Abraham, you are gonna be a father of many nations. And Abraham believed God. And because he believed God, it was counted to him as righteousness. So before anything happened with Isaac, before Isaac was even born, before he was even, uh, his wife was even pregnant with Isaac, God credited to him as righteousness. But that righteousness came out in faith, in action, as Isaac had, this is 30 years later, from about 30 years after that he has Isaac with him. Him and Isaac go up this mountain, and they're on this mountain, and Isaac is carrying firewood on his back, knowing what they're going to do, and and. Abraham says to the people below, he says, we will return. Abraham had faith. He knew. And Isaac's like, look, it has to be looking around. He's, he's up in age, maybe even a teenager at this point in time. He's looking around. Where's the sacrifice? Where, like, he doesn't realize that it's him that is, is potential sacrifice. And Abraham binds him, puts him down, pulls back the knife, and goes to kill his own son as a sacrifice to God. And God stops him and says, Here's a ram as a substitute. Now, this story might sound familiar of another story where God's son, Jesus, went up the mountain. And as he went up the mountain, he carried the wood on his back. But you know what? There would be no substitute. There would be no one that would take his place. Jesus died on that cross so that you and I could have eternity changed, so we could have a relationship with him forever, to have our sins forgiven Jesus was willing to die in our place. But 
in the story of Abraham. It's not just a story made up. This is a biblical story of the father of the nation of Israel, Abraham, being willing to sacrifice his son. You see, 30 years after he initially believed God and was counted in righteousness, he put that in action in a way that was visible for us. I'm not saying he had no action in between. I'm just saying it's very obvious that he had action here. And the two greatest commandments, I said them earlier, is to love God and to love the neighbor as yourself. This aspect of Abraham, he was loving God. Now, um, don't have time to unpack this greatly, but Romans 3.28 and James uh, 2.24 will be on the screen. These two passages, I'm just gonna read them off the screen. It says, James 2.24 says, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. But then Romans 3 says, for we conclude that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. So what's, what gives? Are these, is the Bible contradicting itself? Is, this, is, this is what we call like an interpretive challenge. It's, it's, it's something that's hard for us to understand. And we have to dig a little deeper to find out what's actually happening here. But to sum this up in a really concise way, Paul is writing to an audience that thought they could do a good enough works and be saved. They thought they could, that by trusting in God, not by trusting in God, by doing their own works, that they would somehow earn favor with God. James is writing to an audience that believed they could just say they believe God and have no works. So because they're writing to a different audience, the way this is written is written to clarify to both of those audiences the same truth. That same truth is that we are only saved by faith through grace, but that faith that comes is fleshed out in what? In works. Then he chooses the least of these, the least likely person to, do, to, to be another, another example. And that is in verses 25 and following. Let's read those. In the same way, wasn't Rahab the prostitute also justified by works in receiving the messengers and sending them out by a different route? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. So he uses this guy who is like the hero of so many of their faiths. And then he uses the story of a prostitute who this individual was someone that was in Jericho. And as she's in Jericho, she's heard, they've heard that God gave, gave Israel victory over Egypt. He parted the Red Sea. And because they heard those things, they were afraid. And in hearing about what God had done to deliver the nation of Israel out of Egypt, she believed. She believed that there was a God who could deliver and that belief led to her when spies came in to scout out the land to say, hey, I'm gonna take care of you. I'm gonna hide you. And they came to her door and said, hey, are they here? And she says, no, they went out. Go quickly, go after them. And they went chasing after them and the gates closed behind them. And it was because of this that God spared her life through these individuals. We're gonna read more about this. It's in Joshua chapter two. But God spared her life as they destroyed this, this land and conquered this new place that God had given to them. But God uses this great contrast of a, of a, a man's a patriarch, this a hero of the faith, and this downcast, this outcast, this lowest of lows. And he says, you know what? My gospel transforms life that I can use either the patriarch or the prostitute for my kingdom. I can transform life to work. The first story about Abraham was him demonstrating love towards God. But Rahab was demonstrating love towards a neighbor. And you know, 
that in Jesus' lineage, if you look at the, the genealogy of Jesus, Rahab is in that account. Because God uses not just people of stature and status, but anyone who would trust in him. And anyone, none of us can say, God can't use me. Because if we have genuine faith and we have real faith, that faith works. So do you have real faith? Do you, if you ask yourself, do I have real faith? As I wrap things up, I wanna say it this way. Easy believism doesn't equal real faith. Mental assent doesn't equal real faith. Emotional response doesn't equal real faith. Works doesn't earn faith. But belief, putting your trust in Jesus, allows us to have real faith that is accompanied by works. So do you have real faith? Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this evening. I thank you for the reality that you are still transforming lives and changing individuals. And for all of eternity, you desire for us to live for you and for our faith to work. And so God, I pray for those students in the room that are in you and they know that they're in you, but they've been struggling to believe that you could use them. Would you give them confidence? Would you challenge them to be faithful with their life that you've given them and the influence you've given them for your kingdom? Would they be faithful stewards? God, would you be with a student in the room that's believed a lie about faith, that needs to trust in you, needs to turn from sin, needs to trust in the finished work of Jesus and not in their works, not in their beliefs, not in their emotions. Would you use this word tonight to have them turn from their sin and follow you? God, would you keep pride away and would you give them confidence and boldness to make the commitments they need to make tonight? God, would we not be a people that are just making empty claims but we be a people that are true. Our faith is the same in this room, in our classroom, in the stadium, in, a, in a, any rooms that we find ourselves in. God, would we be faithful and true to you? In Christ's name, amen.